Christian on the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. This is Ben Prinkerhoff, and you're listening to the Christian and the Campus podcast. Today, we get to listen in to the first part of Mary Beth's conversation with April Click and Katie Cobb about how the Christian life confronts our comfort zones, in which they discuss how the Christian life pushes us past comparison. Tune in tomorrow to hear them discuss clicks and complacency. But for now, here's part one. This is the Christian in the Campus podcast, and obviously I'm not Ben talking to you today, uh, but I am Mary Beth, Ben's wife and fellow campus minister at the RFC, and I'm honored to be talking with Katie Cobb and April Click today. Katie is hey. the <laughs> <Katie's laughs> secretary, and April is the co-activities coordinator for the Auburn Christian Student Center, and if you've listened to any of the past podcasts, you've heard about Auburn Christian Student Center by now, and um we refer to it as the APSC sometimes. It's where Ben and I were involved in our campus ministry when we went to Auburn University. Um, so before jumping into our discussion today, um, I wanted to give April and Katie the chance to introduce yourselves and um, just kind of answering the question of how how was your faith shaped and formed on the college campus? Yeah. Okay, I can start. <laughs> okay, so like Mary Beth said, I'm Katie Cobb. Um, I am secretary at the Auburn Christian Student Center, um, but also as a student in college, I was also involved in the Student Center. Um, so uh, I came into college with a pre-existing faith. So I would say that my faith was um, formed in my childhood at home and at church, and then strengthened through experiences um, as I got older in the youth group, and then also just attending a small Christian school. Um, and I, when I came to college, um, I had a decision to make. I could either live out my faith or I could sort of put it on the back burner. And, um, I had developed a relationship with God. And so I, I wanted to live out my faith. And I think what played, um, a really big role in helping me do that was finding community, um, in campus ministry. Um, and, uh, it's, helped um, continue to shape my faith and helped me learn how to live out my life in a way that um, I was taking my faith into consideration in my day-to-day experiences and then also um, just in the big life decisions that I was facing, um, such as, you know, the kind of work I was going to dedicate my life to, um, the kind of spouse I would pursue, um, and also just really making the decision to you know, I was deciding, am I going to live my life in pursuit of um, my personal desires, my personal gain, or am I going to make life decisions based on my desire to pursue God's calling on my life? And um, so campus ministry had a huge impact on my life. Um, It's where I met my husband, and it's really where the seeds of um, ministry were planted into my heart. And it's ultimately really how I ended up (laughs) where I am today and doing what I'm doing today. Um, And then I would just also add that um, as I was involved in the ministry, um, of course, I developed a lot of 
friendships and relationships in that ministry. And um, these are people that were also trying to figure out how to live out their faith. And so, um, you know, we, we prayed together, we studied the Bible together, we worked and served alongside each other. Um, we held each other accountable and challenged each other and encouraged each other. And just all these things that you tend to do when you're living in a faith community and just sharing life with each other. Um, all these things just really had a huge impact on my faith and um, the direction that my life took. So, <laughs> um, And I'm April Flick, and I am the Assistant Activities Coordinator. Um, and Campus Ministries had a huge role in my life, uh, my entire life, because um, my, so my parents met at the Campus Ministry at Mississippi State my dad did ROTC and so he ended up in the army and his last position that he took was as a professor at West Point and while they were at West Point my parents ran a campus ministry kind of a makeshift campus ministry for the cadets there and so from my fourth grade until I graduated high school I basically grew up in a campus ministry um I was constantly surrounded by college-age boys a few girls mostly boys and that was kind of what shaped um, my faith and my life uh, when I, before I even went to school. And so when I started looking at where I wanted to go to college, even though I lived in New York, um, my dad brought me a list of schools with campus ministries and said, I think you should choose, you know, choose one of these. And so uh, Auburn was at the top of the list. And I came and visited Auburn and I loved it. And I never looked back. It was the only school I applied to. Um, and the campus ministry had a huge part of that because I came and I visited and I met some people at the campus ministry and I could just tell that um, they loved each other and that there was a vibrant love for the Lord. And so um, I decided it was a place that I wanted to go and be a part of and plant and work. Um, and that's what I did. And so and then I met uh, my husband there, Andrew, and um, we were both very involved, um, and I, I always tell people with the way that we met, we were friends for several years, but really it was what, why we ended up dating is that like, we kind of looked up one day and saw the person that was working alongside us in the campus ministry. And like, we were step for step with each other. Like we were just always there. Um, every event I was serving at, he was right beside me serving. And so that played a huge part in why we were drawn to each other, because we knew that we could make a life together in service, um, through that. And so it was huge. It was instrumental in, you know, obviously who I ended up with, you know, choosing life with. And then I also have an incredible number of friends that I'm still connected with, um, that, you know, I have, that helped shape and, you know, shape and deepen. Um, my love to the Lord through those years. So that was a big, that was a big part of it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for sharing that. I really love just kind of hearing your stories and just kind of both of y'all hit just like how important it is. Like you're in this unique space with these people trying to figure out how to live out your faith um, in these crazy times. And um, I just think that's awesome. And so uh, today we're actually going to talk about how to live out the Christian life on the college campus. Um, and campus ministries um, in an uncomfortable life, um, but in the best of ways. And so it confronts comfort zones of kind of the three C's, uh, comparison, clicks, and complacency. It's kind of what we'll talk about uh, this morning. But um, first we'll talk about comparison. So 
obviously comparison is a struggle for a lot of females uh, in any setting, but particularly college campus, um, campus ministries, really anywhere you look in that age. Um, it was prevalent when I was in college. Um, I know it still is today. And so there is power in being able to name and identify our struggles. So what exactly does comparison look like? Um, how does that manifest itself in the college campus and in the campus ministries? And y'all feel free to go ahead with that. Um, comparison is a hard one because that is a real struggle for women. Um, and it is not a struggle that is exclusive to your 20s. <laughs> that is a struggle that you, as a woman in particular, I think we all do it, but as a woman in particular, you're going to carry with you your whole life. Um, and the game changes when you get married and then, you know, and um, have a wedding and then you have a baby and then, you know, you're trying to parent and trying to, you know, there are a thousand different people out there telling you how you should parent and what you should do for your child. And it's just a constant battle against um, comparing yourself to the standards that the world gives you or that other people give you. Um, and I don't know that I have an incredible amount of wisdom when it comes to that because it is a, a continuing and ongoing struggle. But mm -hmm. I do think that like naming it for what it is. Um, and sometimes that looks like uh, filtering out certain voices from your life. Um, that's one of the things that I have uh, encouraged some of the college students that I know that are, are struggling with particular friendships or relationships um, where that gets worse. Um, I have said, you know, it's, it's okay for, for you to not allow that person to be um, an influencer in your life. So it doesn't mean that you can um, exclude them or, you know, be ugly, but it's okay to like recognize that, that that person is not bringing out the best in you or that voice is not bringing out the best in you. Sometimes that means you unfollow people on Instagram. Like I unfollowed somebody yesterday because I felt like there was a negativity every time that I looked at what she had to say, that it caused a negative reaction in my life. And so I decided that that wasn't feeding, you know, a, a positivity that I needed and it wasn't, it wasn't feeding good feelings towards other people. And so I just unfollowed her. Yeah. So there's, there's some of that, that, um, we probably have to do in, in making sure that we like recognize and name some of the voices in our life, um, and call it for what it is and, and kind of work towards filtering some of that in our life. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think at the root of when we're comparing ourselves to others, I think at the root of it are fears and insecurities that we're harboring. Um, we're insecure about our abilities. Um, we're fearful that maybe we are not valued in a certain way. And, um, and also along with that, I, I think even going deeper, it can be a result of us feeling insecure about um, who God is because if we don't have a clear understanding of who God is and who we are to him, then we're probably more prone to our own insecurities. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but that being said, uh, well, okay. So you were asking what are, um, yeah, what, is it, what, what does it kind of look like? So, um, you know, 
we tend to um, compare ourselves with others. Um, I mean, all kinds of things, beauty, um, career paths, um, popularity, likability, personality, accomplishments, um, different life experiences, academics. I mean, relationships, everything. We compare everything. And I think, um, you know, like I said, it's because of insecurities we harbor. And also I think it's a way that we try to gauge ourselves, like how are we doing, <laughs> you know? And, and um, but I think on the flip side of that, um, there can be positive ways of um, when we see attributes in people that we admire or things in their lives that we admire, um, it can be a catapult to, um, we can be inspired by other people's mm -hmm. accomplishments and characteristics. Um, and um, push ourselves to be better in those aspects. Um, we can also admire and recognize, um, you know, qualities in people and gifts that we are given as gifts from God. Mm -hmm. um, you know, any gift or blessing we have is a result of God's grace. And it's given to us for the purpose of God's glory, to serve others and to bring God glory through it. So, um, I thought I had one more thing I was going to say, but well, and like you said, it can, it can also be a really, um, eye-opening way to, you know, look in the mirror and flesh out some of our insecurities. Mm -hmm. Like, um, when you recognize that you are comparing yourself, com you know, continually to a person in an area, it's a good way for you to think, why am I, you know, like, what is it deep down that's causing me to, um, you know, do that. And like Katie said, kind of flesh out your own insecurities and recognize areas where maybe you're not leaning as heavily on the Lord as you should be. Um, because you know, that is, that is sometimes a good way for us to see, um, some areas that we need to be kind of leaning in, um, with the Lord and asking, you know, asking for his, his guidance there and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really like that. And I think that it's, um, thinking about talking about this great even was so hard kind of like you both touched on it it's just such a um it's something that doesn't go away <laughs> after your 20s like you said april and it's something that's always there and so just being self-aware um that you are having those feelings and the power in that and the power that god can use in that self-awareness to combat that possibly turn it into something that's really beautiful for your own life um, because like you said, it doesn't go away. And, um, and you kind of, both of you talked about this already a little bit, but just kind of, um, why do we go to comparison? Why is it our default? Katie, you talked some about kind of the fears, um, that people have and insecurities. Um, but is there, a, I mean, is, do you think that's it? Do you think that is the main, the main root of why it's such a struggle, especially for females? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would add to, I, I think really a huge part is just the insecurities that we have um, and, and fears that we may have. But along with that, um, you know, I certainly don't think we can rule out the spiritual warfare that's involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, and like April said, the importance of being honed in on um, maybe where we are vulnerable and wanting to compare ourselves to others. If we are, um, if we are aware of that, then we can be more on guard mm -hmm. to the ways 
that Satan may try to um, attack us in those areas. So, um, you know, like April mentioned earlier, if social media is a trigger for you, get off of social media, you know, um, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Right. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I would add to that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I that, um, Satan loves the comparison game because its intention is to be divisive. Um, and Satan loves anything that is going to, um, distract us from unity and cause us to be divisive with the people around us. And, um, you know, and when we're feeling insecure and we're comparing ourselves to somebody, our reaction is to act like what they have is maybe worse or bad or, you know what I mean? And so it just causes this division among us. Um, that Satan loves and God hates. And so I think that um, it's just another form of distraction for sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you both touched on this too, but I liked the practical advice that you guys gave. Just, you know, Katie, you kind of talked to you about, it can, you can turn it in too. And maybe some people have this intrinsic uh, motivation to even look at someone else and be really encouraged by either a skill set or something that they, they have or able to do. Um, and that's awesome. But, you know, if someone can't get there, um, April, you said, call it for what it is, you know, mm-hmm. just do that and realize what's happening and then do steps like unfollow somebody or, you know, stay off of a certain social media um, for a while. And um, I think those are just, you know, it doesn't have to be this huge, like shift all at once in your life, but making those small steps and mm-hmm. calling it what it is, seeing it in the face and saying, okay, I'm going to do this today, or I'm not going to do this today. Um, I think those are really good to hear. Um, and just, yeah. good to know moving forward. Um, and I think there are some other ways, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. <laughs> I think there are some other ways that we can, April, you probably have things to add to this, <laughs> the other ways that we can work on combating this tendency to, to compare in our lives. And <clears throat> a, a huge way is to, um, first starting with finding our identity and who God says we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we are created in his image. Um, we are his beloved. We are his chosen. We have been forgiven. He is sanctifying us. Um, he is calling us to his purpose. He is, you know, preparing a place for us in eternity. All these things, like if we start with finding our identity in him and looking to him for our identity, um, we are better armored to fight the um, temptations to compare ourselves to others and to feel less than others. Um, And along with that, um, I think it's just so important to um, be rooted in the word because the word is, it's active and it's breathing. And um, when we are in the word, like we are changed, our hearts are changed, our minds are changed and our perspectives And as we immerse ourselves in the word, um, you know, these worries, um, these earthly worries tend to sort of fall to the wayside and are replaced with more of an eternal mindset and a missional mindset. Um, So I think that's helpful. Um, The two things that I would say are name your blessings and humanize people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's two huge ways to combat this as well. If you are consistently naming your blessings, then it's much harder for you to get lost in what somebody else has. Um, 
And, um, and, you know, taking that a step further is um, finding, you know, people to, to work with in your life that have less than you, <laughs> mm-hmm. because that's going to um, really make you realize when you name your blessings, how blessed you are by the things that you have um, and what you've got going in your life. And then humanizing people. I mean, I just think in this age of social media and in digital media that we um, take the humanity out of people and we don't know anybody's story. <laughs> and so it's much easier for you to look at somebody, um, somebody's life and think that it's this incredible gift and they have all these things and you want what they have until you actually know their story. And if you knew the struggles that they were having on a daily basis, you'd probably be much less likely to covet what they have and compare your life to theirs. Um, and so I think that, you know, just making sure that we know people's stories, um, is so important. And I think that's kind of a lost art these days. We just don't know anybody's story anymore. I was thinking the same thing. I I would say that find the people that, um, you are consistently comparing yourself to and go out and get to know them because Mm -hmm. like April said, it, it gives them humanity it helps you to see that they are not perfect and they do have problems but on top of that when we get to know people we foster a love towards them Mm -hmm. and if we love someone then we don't envy them we're happy for them (laughs) and so yeah I I had a friend one time um she and I were having lunch and I I have several part-time jobs and I have four kids and I'm just I'm like constantly juggling things and um I had a friend I had lunch with and she said I just like, how do you keep all the balls in the air? Like what, you know, how are you keeping all that going? Cause I just see your life and I think, how are you keeping? And I told her, I was like, I'm not like, if I'm giving the impression that I'm keeping it all in the air, like I apologize. I never want to give anyone that impression because I'm frequently dropping balls and it's just dependent on which week, like which ball is getting dropped. And I said, Unfortunately, lately, it's with my kids a lot, which is why like, I'm pulling back significantly this year on some of the other things that I have said yes to in the past in an effort to put more time and energy into my kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that literally was my New Year's resolution this year was to do less because I'm very checklist oriented and I want to get things done. And so my goal this year was do less and be more. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's what I was telling that friend. And I'm like, please don't look at my, you know, my life and think that I'm keeping it all together because I'm not. And I, I hope that you can see where I'm failing um, and where I need the Lord. Because if we look like we're carrying everything, then there's no room for mm-hmm. us to need the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that is not a great place to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that with, you know, social media becoming more and more prevalent in people's lives, you know, everyone's lives. Um, but for some people, it's all they've ever known, you know, especially in their mm-hmm. groups. And so I know that can be so, so damaging to people's concepts of what other people's lives look like. And um, it made me think I have a friend who I appreciate so much. She makes a intentional point to if she ever posts something on Instagram or something that makes her life look, you know, perfect from the outside world, she makes an intentional point to post another post of what, what's really going on in her life. And, um, and she does that because of those tendencies that people have um, to become jealous or compare their lives to them. And um, I just think what you guys said is so powerful and, and just knowing our identity and humanizing everyone else. And I just think that's um, just really, really powerful and important to remember.
Christian in the Campus is a podcast of the Rebels for Christ Campus Ministry. The college campus is a world of competing stories vying for students' attention and allegiance. The goal of this podcast is to orient students towards Christ in this brave new world so that we can bring about a revolution of redemption on the University of Mississippi and Northwest Community College campuses. Hi, this is Ben Brinkerhoff, and you're listening to the Christian in the Campus podcast. If you haven't listened into part one of Mary Beth's conversation with April Click and Katie Cobb about how the Christian life confronts our comfort zones, I encourage you to do so. Today, the three of them will address clicks and complacency. Our second C that we will talk about today is clicks. Um, so, you know, it's it's another unhealthy comfort zone that's prevalent on the college campuses and campus ministries and beyond. Um, so before we go any further in this, what is a click? Um, I think that it's really important for us to define it from the outset before we kind of get into talking about it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to differentiate a click from a friend group because I think there is a difference. Um, it's natural for us to have our core friend groups, people that we um, are naturally inclined to want to be around because we're attracted to their personality, we have um, similar interests or commonalities, or there's something about them that we respect and, you know, just want to, we want to learn from them. Um, people that we can let our guard down and feel vulnerable with and people that can hold us accountable, but also just people that it's fun to be around. So. I think that is totally natural and healthy and good and fine. Um, clicks, on the other hand, I think what differentiates a click from um, a friend group is um, there's an exclusivity there and there's um, an, uh, an elitism. Is that the right mm -hmm. word? Okay. There's an elitism there in that um, you're exclusive for the purpose of making yourself appear superior on some level. And, um, and that is obviously very damaging in the context of a ministry or, or any community. Um, and it's a fine line to walk. I mean, it's a, it's a very fine line because as you develop close relationships and you deepen those relationships, your obvious draw is going to be just to spend time with the people that you're closest to. I mean, that's obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's our natures um, because we want to be around people that we're comfortable with because we're comfortable with them. Um, but what you have to remember is that at some point you are not comfortable with them. And, um, and so, and some people have a harder time finding their, their people and their friend group, friend group. One of the greatest gifts of my thirties has been uh, finding and understanding my people. Like I know who my people are now and they're the people that I'm going to call when I'm struggling. They're the people that are going to say, like call out sin in my life. Like, Hey, that's not what that is. Like you may think that's okay, but it's not. Um, and I have some really great women in my life that that's what they're doing, but I never hesitate if I am hosting something or having something, I never hesitate to reach outside of that group and invite in. Um, and I think that's what there's an important distinction. Am I going to call you know, some random person that I barely know when I need um, some advice. No, I have a select number of women that I would call if I need specific advice. But if I'm going to hang out or, you know, host a movie night or whatever, I'm going to invite all the women. I'm not going to just invite those core people. 
Um, and I do have, you know, times where I spend just with those women, but those are intentional times of, you know, prayer and fellowship. And that's not every time. Um, I think that it's important to remember that Jesus did this. I mean, he had his three and then he had his 12 and then he had the multitudes. Uh, and so, but his three, having his three didn't keep him from having the multitudes. If you look at his life, the majority of the time he was with the multitudes. Um, and there were very select times that he needed of, you know, prayer and, and intentional time that he spent with the 12 or the three. Um, but the majority of the time he was with the multitudes. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's important to remember when we're thinking about um, clicks, especially within a ministry and how to move forward is that you need to make sure that you're engaging and um, looking for people. Um, this is a skill. Andrew and I have talked about this repeatedly. Um, it's something that we are training our kids in because um, I think that it is just something that is not practiced a lot. And so we talk a lot to our kids about looking up and looking around for the person who's not engaged. Um, and you know, and it's hard. Uh, our daughter Lily is, this is the hardest for her. She is definitely the most introverted of my kids. And literally two weeks ago, we were like, Hey, this is how you do this. And we were practicing with her like, Hey, my name is Lily. I like blah, 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 blah. And we like made her say it and we made her walk up to us. We made her practice it, shake our hands, you know? And so then the next time we were at a park, she walked up to some random person and introduced herself and had this whole conversation with them. And so it's not something like, I think what Katie, when Katie talks about gifts, like it's, it's natural for you to think, well, my gift is not, you know, like I'm introverted. So this is not my thing. Like, I don't have to be with people. I don't have to introduce myself out to make me friends because, um, I'm introverted and that's not my gift. And that's a lie. Like, the Bible does not show us that you only get to do the things that you're gifted at, um, or that only the people who are extroverted are the ones who have to um, minister to the multitudes. Like the Bible commands everybody to do that. And so you don't get a pass in that area. Um, and I think this is a really big one. I think that's another area where, where Satan just continues to um, be divisive and show us like repeatedly how, you know, how divisive he wants us to be is in this area. Mm -hmm. And it's a big one. Like it's a, it's a real problem. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add to that is, um, like you said, it's natural to have our core friend groups, but you know, within a larger community, you know, right now we're speaking specifically about campus ministry within a campus ministry, you know, it's natural to have, you know, multiple core friend groups, but then you're still a community at large mm -hmm. and you're still working alongside each other and um, you're still um, investing time in people outside of your groups. Mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're working towards the same goal. If, if your community is a mission-minded community, um, then you're on the same team, like you're on the same playing field and y'all are all working together. Of course, you have people that you are naturally drawn to, but, um, those, that group is not an exclusive group. And so, um, and then, um, piggybacking off of something April said, um, you know, I feel like when you walk into the doors of a place, um, let's, let's talk about campus management and you can walk in as a student, um, and you can be a person that, that walks in and is like, here I am, see me, serve me. Or you can be a person that walks in 
and looks around and says, who do I need to see? Mm -hmm. Who do I need to serve? And so just walking in with that different mindset, I think can really help break down some of the, the barriers um, or the tendency to be clickish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that it's helpful to know the distinction and hear those examples because it's something that even sometimes I, especially in the past, have had a hard time of like, well, what are the differences? Why is it such an unhealthy thing? Um, if it's just truly a click, you know, and not that um, Christian community um, that you can have your friend group, but that's not the same thing as that community. Um, so why, I guess, um, why do you think that they are the default for so many people, especially on college campuses or in campus ministries? Why do you think that is kind of the comfort zone, the safe place that people fall into? I mean, because I think we want to be comfortable. <laughs> I think that, you know, we're always going to, and I mean, I'm, I am an extrovert. The only person I know that's more extroverted than me is my husband. And, <laughs> and I still, if I walk into a room of people, I don't know, it's still uncomfortable for me. Like, it's not like, I'm just like, you know, I thrive off of this. I don't like, it's still, I still will look for somebody that I know to engage. Um, and so it is really hard to feel like you are in a big room and be and feel lonely. Like that's incredibly difficult. And there have been times in my life where I have felt that way. Um, and I think that's why it's so important that we do have a friend group because I think that, you know, knowing who we are and being deeply rooted with a group of people helps us then realize, okay, I, I have this identity and I am this person and now I can step outside of that and engage other people. And that's why, you know, I, um, I also, you know, try to, okay, when we have, say, for instance, there's a new family at church or something, we always try to have them over and um, we'll have them over, but we'll also invite another family because it's great for them to know us, but then we're the only ones that they know. And so I always try to pull in another person so that then there's another friendly face. And then if that person pulls in another person, there's another friendly face. So it's about, you know, but we always pick a family that we're comfortable with. And then we can have a new family as well. And so it gives you that opportunity once you have that core group to realize that you can't stay there. And that's the difference. I think clicks, you're just staying there and you're forgetting that your purpose is to be, yes, rooted and grounded with people who are going to, you know, help you follow Christ more closely, but then you don't stay, you go into all the world. And so it's, it's that y'all are using each other as a grounding so that you can then launch into other people to draw other people in. So I think that's the part of it that maybe we kind of forget about, but it's, it's hard. I mean, it's way more comfortable to stay in your place. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Kind of using, you know, your core friend group um, to push you out and to be more uncomfortable can sometimes be easier if you're using that as a resource. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, so if you don't have anything else done, that's fine, but what, what it look like as a whole for us to move beyond clicks into a Christian community and how do we get there? Um, I know we've kind of, you've just kind of talked about it with the friend groups, you know, using that as kind of a driving force into that. And, mm -hmm. um, but do you guys have anything else to add with that? Yeah. Um, not much, but a little bit. Um, <laughs> I would say just um, encouraging interaction among different friend groups. Um, and, you know, in campus ministry, we can see this play out in, um, like small group 
camps, um, Bible studies, things like that. I think also serving alongside each other in our ministries. Um, when we are working together, I mean, that just naturally fosters um, a sense of community and like brotherhood, sisterhood. Um, and then, like I said earlier, just being mission minded, you know, when we are on mission, we should be focused and we have something to work towards and we are working in it together. So I think when we start getting distracted with, um, with things like popularity or thing, you know, like these clicks, um, I think it's because we're off mission. Yeah. And so I really feel like staying on mission is a great way to guard ourselves against, um, those tendencies. I think that when our ministry has experienced the most growth has been when they are most well connected to each other. Mm -hmm. And so when people are, have their friend group, but they're working within the ministry with other people and they're all connected is when our ministry has experienced the most growth because then they want to bring friends and then, you know, and then visitors get there and they're like, wow, they, these all, all these people know each other and they all love each other and I want to be a part of that. And so then they stay. So I think that it naturally feeds growth if you have a good, you know, connection within each other within the ministry. But if they show up and it just looks like, well, these people over here and these people are here, then, you know, they, that's the world to them. And so they have no reason to stay then. Yeah. That's not yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, those are both great. You see, the Christian community as a separate part of the world, and it's something that people want to be a part of. And then you can right. see fruits of that in communities like campus ministries if it's a healthy um, group working together on mission. Um, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last thing that we'll talk about um, is complacency. Um, and so it uh, shows up in all kinds of forms, stuff we've already talked about. Um, and it shows up even from apathy to staying inside of our skill set or perceived calling. Um, so what do you think it looks like for the Christian female on a college campus? And um, how does it manifest itself in college campuses and campus ministries um, and beyond? You want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> I can start. I can start. I'll, I have a lot of thoughts on this because honestly, it is something I struggle with. So um, I will probably lose my train of thought, but probably when April speaks, it'll spark, it'll spark what I was on to say too. Um, but I guess I'll just start by saying, I think the reason we um, have a tendency to stay in our complacency is um, because like April was saying earlier, it's the same with why we default to our friend groups. Um, it's a comfort zone thing. Um, we don't want to be pushed. We don't want to be bothered. We don't want to be stretched or like go outside of our comfort zone. So I think that's why it's our tendency. Um, I think it's important to make a distinction because I don't, I do not think that complacency is synonymous with contentment. Mm -hmm. I think complacency can be very destructive, especially in a campus ministry because it's it's self-serving. <laughs> like mm -hmm. when we are being complacent, um, it, it's because we we are trying to serve ourselves. We don't want to go outside of our comfort zones. And I think um, the difference between being why complacency is different from just being content is that I think with complacency there is a knowledge 
of a need that needs to be met that's not being met because you don't want to go out of your comfort zone to meet that need. Mm -hmm. And um, and so yeah, I think I think the tendency there is um, to serve ourselves in our own comfort and be satisfied with our status quo and just keep doing what we're doing yeah. um, because we don't want to be stretched or bothered in any way. Um, I'm really glad yeah. Distinction. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying I'm really glad that Katie made that distinction. I think that's really, really important to be aware yeah, of. Yeah, I think that complacency can be synonymous with comfort. Um, and I think that's one of the things, one of the things I've talked um, to various people about is that God didn't call us to a comfortable life. He just didn't. Um, and if we get to a place in our life where we feel like everything is kind of rolling along, like I've told people, I feel like when I get to a point where life is just kind of rolling along and, and everything's comfortable and everything's smooth and, you know, then I know that it's God preparing me to like for the next step, mm -hmm. um, that he's about to throw me a curveball. And I can feel in those times of comfort is when God has like whispered these things into my life. Like he's just kind of slipping in like, Hey, this is what's coming next. Like just mm -hmm. wanted you to know. <laughs> and I'm usually, um, pretty resistant to that because I'm like, but I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am. Like things are really comfortable. Um, you find your rhythm. Exactly. Um, so we are foster parents and this is a big thing for us because, uh, there is nothing comfortable about foster care, like nothing. And it feels like every time you get a placement, the rug gets ripped out from underneath you for about six weeks, um, at, at a minimum. And then maybe you find a new rhythm, but then like every time you have a placement or anything like it's just turmoil the whole time. And um, I've always told people that if any, if, if I can do foster care, that anybody can do foster care because I'm very scheduled, I'm very structured. I like for things to run along smoothly. I have lots of systems in my house with my kids. And I've had to continually lay that on the altar for the Lord through foster care. Um, because my default is to want everything to be perfectly smooth and everyone to be happy and everything to be working along. And, um, God put foster care in front of us. Like it was undeniable that that's what he was asking of us, but it took several years for us to get there because I was like, mm, nope. And God was like, yeah, no, I think you're going to do that. And I was like, mm, nope. And even when we took the classes, um, our, our worker said, I'm a little worried about how structured you like for things to be and that interaction with foster care and so even she who barely knew me could <clears> see that that was going to be a major upheaval in my life but it has caused the most growth in my spiritual life of any path that I have walked um we've been licensed for eight years now and it is just incredible to see the Lord in the way that the Lord provides and the Holy Spirit in the way that the Holy Spirit has shown up in my life through that journey and that wouldn't have happened had I not stepped outside of that comfort zone. Um, and so I can see how the comfort zones that we live in and the complacency is just, it's just a place for the devil to play. Like he just does not like he, he does not want us to step outside of that because when we step outside of that is when God gets to really dig in and do his work and like prune us in ways that we need to be pruned. And, um, and so I think that that for me personally, um, complacency is something that I struggle with because then it means that, um, things are hard and not on schedule. Um, but 
I have, since I have seen the fruits of that, I'm much more likely now <clears> to look <throat> at something that's hard and uncomfortable and think, okay, mm-hmm. I can do that. Like I can step to that place because I have walked through this and God has provided. And so I can see where that's coming. Um, I have so much more to say about that. So I'm going to stop. Oh, that is so good. That is so <laughs> I could talk about that all day. <laughs> um, yeah. It made me think about how, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, the, the not wanting to step out and do things that we don't feel particularly good at. Mm-hmm. Um, we can, um, we cannot, we might not have confidence in our abilities, but we can have confidence in what God is wanting to do through us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just need to step out and meet them there in it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and it's like April said, it's not about us anyways. It's about what God is wanting to do through us mm-hmm. and being able to see him at work. And so that's why he loves, we see these examples in the Bible all the time of God using people who are not the obvious choice for mm-hmm. that leadership role. And, and he used them because it brings them glory. It's just, it's so obvious that it was nothing in and of that person, but it was totally just God's power making it happen. God made a way. And yeah, and it's almost like it's, it's easier for you to name and recognize God's part in it. If it's not your gift, like mm-hmm. if it's not an area that you feel God has naturally gifted you, then when he sustains you through it, it's like, wow, I could not have done that. Like that had to be the Lord. Um, and so I think that if you feel nudges and you will like pay attention to those because God is probably nudging you towards something that may be hard, but it's going to be really good. Mm -hmm. And I think that we talk a lot about our gifts and I think it's important to recognize our gifts, but knowing our gifts does not you know, allow us to not engage in other places. And I know I already said that, but like caring for the orphans and the widows, like that is a command for everybody. So doesn't mean you have to have kids in your home, but it means that you have to find a way to engage that population because that's a command for everybody. Um, making disciples of the nations, that's a command for everybody. Like that is, is not, he wasn't saying, Oh, only if you feel like you're gifted in speaking, like, do you do that? You know, he's commanding everybody to do that. So, um, you have to find ways to engage the world. And sometimes that's going to be not in ways that you feel like are your strengths. Mm -hmm. Probably most of the time it's going to be in ways that you feel like are not your strengths. Mm -hmm. I like that because I find myself guilty of it, you know, using certain things that I'm not necessarily gifted at as a cop out to let someone else do it instead. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know, April, you could have easily, you know, foster care beginning and like, no, like I'm not, that's not the kind of lifestyle I'm used to. I'm not good at, you know, these certain things. So, you know, someone else will be better at that than I am or small things like me and this podcast, you know, I don't, I don't do these things naturally, but God <laughs> will equip me to do those things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> How equipment, like, you know, God will equip us and it just takes faith and trust. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know. What, what are some things that we can combat or how can we combat these forces, you know, and how can we move from complacency and from living in our comfort zones into this life of flourishing? What does that look like? Um, well, I have one quick thought, which may actually go back to our past question, but I will get to this question too. Um, but I was thinking about how 
um, we can have a tendency sometimes to hide behind the facade of activity and busyness. And what I mean by that is we can sort of like, you know, pat ourselves on the back for showing up every week. And we find ourselves, you know, filling up our time with things that we are naturally inclined to do that we feel gifted at and that, you know, we receive recognition and praise for, and those are good. But, um, you know, if we're, you know, we're just showing up every week and we're checking off our boxes and we're feeling good about what we're doing, but we're not, we are recognizing these other needs outside of us. And it's easy for us to, if we are filling up our time with all these other boxes we're checking, it's easy for us to use that as an excuse because, well, our week is already full and we don't really have any more time mm -hmm. to put towards these needs that we see around us. And so if we're not careful, um, we can use our, our busyness as an excuse for our complacency when really it's just, we're masking our complacency by making ourselves look busy. And so, um, that was just one random thought. I, um, I really like that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That. Um, yeah. what's the question? <laughs> um, <laughs> how do we come up with that? that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so it's interesting that she said that because Micah, at some point, I was talking to Micah about something and he said, I think about my busyness and he said, yeah, you don't have a lot of margins in your life. Mm. And, and like that has stayed with me because I thought I have no margins in my life. Like I had filled up my days. I had filled up all of my time and a lot of them were really good things, yeah. like really great things. But I have had to learn the no and how important the no is sometimes um, and making sure that I'm staying focused with the mission that God has put me on. Um, and so I did some cutting in my life to create some margins. And um, within like a month of creating these margins in my life and saying, okay, Lord, like here are the margins in my life. Like, what are you wanting for that? Like what, what is going into this space? Um, he had literally dropped somebody in my lap that needed assistance and they needed a, a, a good amount of time and assistance kind of like right up front. And, um, it's a person that I have since developed a, a wonderful friendship with and, um, continue to assist. But like the Lord knew I needed to hear you have no margins in your life, like create margins. Because if I had not intentionally been praying, like creating that space and then praying for what God was going to do with it, I would have very much walked away from that opportunity. Like I would have seen that need, looked it in the face and walked away because I would have said, Lord, I don't have time for that. I, I see that you're trying to show me that this person needs my help, but like, I don't have time for that. And I would have walked away from that. And so I just think it's important that we are intentional mm. about looking at the things that we're doing. And we've even done that as a ministry before. I remember when we were in college, we pulled every program that we had out and laid it on the table and said, what needs to stay and what needs to go? Because if we are just busying ourselves with things that are not doing anything, then it's not helpful. Like, are we furthering the kingdom with these things that we're doing? And we only pulled back in programs that we felt like were intentional and um, moving the ministry forward. And so I think it's important that we do that in our own life. And um, this is not popular, but like 
one of the ways we do that is that our kids don't play sports. Like we have four kids and um, our oldest is 11 and he is like just starting to like, he gets to play one sport a year. And that's all we do because if we are at the ball field every night of the week, then we don't have time for a lot of other people and a lot of other things. And so that's just one of the ways that we have created some margin in our life. Um, because we have some other areas that we feel like God is calling us to and some other people. Now, maybe your people are at the ball field. Like maybe you're ministering people at the ball field. I'm not saying that children's sports are bad. I'm just saying that's a way that like we have created some margin in our life for the other things that we feel like God has called us to at this time. But we also know that that will shift. Like we don't believe that God's called us to one thing that we're going to stick with forever. We are doing foster care right now, but we know that there will come a time where God's going to close that door. And we already kind of see that coming and we see a different direction that he's taking us in. And so we're kind of in that transition period right now where we're in between those two ministries. Um, but we, we have to be intentional about looking at our life and realizing that some things have to go and what's going to go in order for you to make this space for you to be able to step out and say yes when he asks you to step out. Does that answer that question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> how are we, how are we creating, like, how are you creating, combating? Complacency? Oh, sorry. Okay. I have a how couple you, more thoughts to add to that. <laughs> that was the question. <laughs> okay, I think a, a good, a good thing to do is to find a leader or a mentor and, and ask them for feedback, honest feedback. <laughs> um, uh, welcoming critique and, you know, asking your friends to hold you accountable um, and doing the same for them. Um, I think that is one of the ways we do not want to step out of our comfort zones mm-hmm. <laughs> because we are afraid of stepping on each other's toes or offending someone or coming across as hypocritical. Um, but we have to help each other in these areas. If we see a destructive behavior in each other, um, we we need to let that be known mm-hmm. gently and lovingly, but we need to let that be known. Yeah. Um, and then um, let's see, what was the other one? Oh, like April was saying, just developing a discipline of getting out of your comfort zone. We know that we we can look around and see needs that need to be met. Mm-hmm. And we can know which needs are making us uncomfortable and we can actively discipline ourselves to do one of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, sometimes we are compelled by love and sometimes our love hasn't caught up with us yet. And we need to just act out the discipline of doing something and the love will catch up. God, God is constantly working on our hearts, but sometimes it is just showing up as just an act of discipline. and then, oh, the last thing I was going to mention was um, making it a practice to dream about your ministry. I think it's, you know, it's common and easy for us to dream about our futures, like, you know, who we're going to marry, about what kind of job we're going to have one day, where we're going to live, all these things, what we want to do, where we want to go. Um, but I don't think we spend much time dreaming about our churches and our ministries and where we want to see God take those. And so I think if we spend more time dreaming about those things, then that's going to help us. It's going to create a drive in us to want to get out of our comfort zones and allow God to work um, in us and through us. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so our time is, is about up. So I just want to thank you guys so much for 
um, speaking so much truth about what it looks like to live an uncomfortable life, at least at first, you know, it leads to flourishing and um, furthering the kingdom. And so thank you guys um, for talking with me and I know our students and everyone else that's listening will find it um, really